Oh, me too. How many of you will be there? Yeah. That's hard to beat. I hope you'll come. It's going to be a really great, great night, and I uh, hope you enjoy that. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, I like what you said, Barbara, about going from a snowstorm. That was crazy last weekend, wasn't it? And then now we have another crazy weekend, you know, 60 degrees. But I love it. you got to love it. It's fun. Hey, before I dive in, I just want to invite any of you who would like to be a part of a team. It's a new team that we have officially kicked off, and it's helping our teaching team. There are four pastors on our teaching team with Dick and Rob and Jeff and I, and we are asking anyone who wants to help research for us for the weekend teachings at Timberline, you can simply email us at research at timberlinechurch.org. Maybe, and what we're going to do is we're going to send you um, about six months' worth of texts that we're diving into and studying. And then you can just research. Maybe there's a favorite story that we're going to land on, and you go, I know a lot of stuff about that story. You know, maybe you don't know anything about another one. But if you want to help us with illustrations, commentators, just study. And, and you basically send it to that site, and then we will read it. You'll get an automatic response, and uh, we'll have a, a large team of people helping us study and giving us things to think about. And so whether we use it or not, we'll read it, and we will enjoy it. You can also take a connection card out in front of you. Put your name and email address on it, maybe a phone number, in case you didn't print where we could read it, right? And put research team, and then we'll contact you and give you further instructions. So if, you, if that kind of stuff interests you, we should have a lot of fun, and we'll do that. All right. Well, today we're talking about the fragrance of worship, what it means to be a worshiper. I, I sat over here, and I just watched this room in praise to God, in adoration of who he is. I like watching some of you try to learn a new song. <laughs> One of those songs goes pretty fast, doesn't it? You're kind of like, I'm, I'm like two words behind, you know, but I'm trying. And then to a glorious hymn of the church, that spirit of worship. But it's not just in singing that we worship. It's our lifestyle. It's everything we are. And our lifestyle leaves a fragrance in a room. How many of you can actually go back in your mind and when you smell a certain fragrance, you have a memory in your childhood and it takes you to it? How many of you have a memory of baking bread? Grandma. You know, I always, when I go into a bakery or there's that certain smell of bread that I just, I'm, I'm, I walk into my grandma's house. And I see it. I can see right where the sink is in the refrigerator and the oven and, and on these beautiful uh, rolls that she made. I can just, I can smell it just because of that aroma. I have another one that has to do with saddles. I grew up around a saddle maker and I used to go into that shop and the smell of leather, it just, it just takes me right to that place when I have that smell. How many of you have certain perfumes that you can recognize because you grew up with someone who, like maybe your wife or your husband or someone, how many of you can recognize a certain fragrance? It's amazing. And it makes you think of that person. We, we have here a perfume bottle. Now, I carry this around with me every day. <laughs> no, it's just kind of a, just an illustration. But whatever you put in this bottle, and then when you squeeze this, that's what comes out. Now, it would be a really bad joke to put something that smelled horrible in here and, and squeeze it on someone and say, here, have a nice fragrance and stink them up, right? 
That would be bad. But that's exactly what we do sometimes with our lives. We have this wonderful tent, this jar of clay made of flesh and blood that God, God gave us. And that fades. How many of you recognize that? That can go away pretty quick. But the fragrance that you leave and what comes out of your life is what matters most with your life. And that's why this is so important for us to talk about it. We're going to go to Mark chapter 14. We're continuing our series in Mark. And just open your Bible up, follow along. And I, I want to start by saying this, why so much hate? This story starts out with this moment of hate from religious leaders toward Jesus. And what it says is just really powerful and hard to even understand. But in verse 1, it says, It was now two days before Passover, and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and what? Kill him. Now, we sort of read that and glance over it like, yeah, they wanted him dead. They eventually did. But that's huge. I mean, just think, they're gathering. How, how are we going to kill him? How are we going to take him out? But then they said, not during the Passover celebration. They agreed that people might riot because Jesus had a lot of people who loved him. They loved him or they hated him. And I started thinking about this, and I want to just give some explanation for those of you who might not know much about these stories in the Bible, but there are many reasons why the religious people in Jesus' day hated him. One of them was simply that he did not meet their criteria for being the Messiah. They had a certain expectation that, that Jesus did not meet, and they just could not get it through their head that Jesus would come in the form of a man like this, being born as a baby and growing up. They, they were viewing the Messiah would be coming in glory, you know, in power and overthrow Rome and the government and take over. And that's not how Jesus came. They also despised him because he ate with common people. He ate with sinners. Matter of fact, there's several passages in the Bible that say they put him on the cross and killed him because he was a friend of sinners and he ate with publicans. And they didn't like that because they wanted him to have his own little sterile world because they would never have associated with those people, <laughs> right? So it's really important for us to understand the mindset. He did not support the religious rules that they supported. He didn't do things right. Some of the little rules and, and washing before eating and some of the things he did on the Sabbath. He actually healed people on the Sabbath. That's horrible, isn't it? I mean, they, they hated him for that because he didn't observe those laws. So as I think about that, I start to realize it's not uncommon for us to grow in hatred toward people who don't believe like us. And I think we need to examine our lives. Let me, let me ask you a question, and this is no disrespect at all for anyone who might be here who is a Muslim or a Hindu. We're glad you're here. But to the Christians who are in this room, what are the chances of you becoming a Muslim? You think there's much of a chance? Probably not. Because you've made up your mind. That's, that's a feeling that you can use to sort of gauge why these religious leaders felt the way they did about Jesus. They would never become what he was promoting. Because their path was set. They weren't going to change. And they believed they were in the right. 
And so often, we have that same thing. They did not understand who Jesus really was. They thought he was a fraud, and they thought that they would be doing the world a favor if they took him out. So keep that in mind as we go through this. It's easy to, to judge these religious leaders, but in reality, sometimes we get that same hatred in us toward people who don't believe like us. And we have to be really careful about that. Number two in your outline is this, why so much love? We're about to see this story flip-flop because now these religious people are saying, how can we kill him? And we have this woman who is absolutely going to worship him. Meanwhile, verse 3, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made, of, made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Now, you have to understand when they had meals like Jesus was in, in, in this house, they didn't have a table and chairs like we do. They had areas on the floor with mats that they would actually recline and be on an elbow or lean up against the wall. And so what happened was this woman comes in and goes over to where Jesus is, comes in behind him, and she starts anointing his hair, and John tells us, which we'll see later, also his feet. And, and she is opening up this amazing perfume, and the fragrance just absolutely fills the house. Most scholars believe this was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and the sister of Martha. There are a lot of Marys in the Bible, but I think it was her as well. The details of this story are recorded in other Gospels as well. And here's kind of the sequence of probably what happened. She came in behind Jesus, who was reclining, and she anointed his head and his feet. She dried his feet with her hair, and that's recorded in one of the Gospels. It's also recorded in one of the Gospels that she had a past that was pretty horrendous. And she was known as a big sinner. Okay? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? She's, I don't mean just a little sin. I mean the big stuff, whatever that is. <laughs> sin is sin, right? But she was in a category where actually the gospel writers say things like she was known as a notorious sinner. So this was a big deal. The fact that Jesus would even let a woman like this anoint him or touch his hair or his feet would be, you know, it would just destroy the religious leaders. They would never even want to be associated with someone like this. And yet Jesus recognizes her worship. How is our love of God measured? If I said to you, how much do you love God? How would you answer that question? <laughs> would you say, a lot? <laughs> how would you tangibly, like if I followed you around for a month and I, I clocked every place you went, every penny you spent, everything you did, would that Fragrance would that track record reveal that you love God? Time, talent, and treasure are probably the three tangibles that will determine whether you love God or not. What do you do with your time? Where do you spend it? What do you do with your abilities, your gifts? How do you use those treasures? And where and how do you spend the money that God has put in your hand? It's just a huge thing for us to talk about and think about. What is the fragrance in the room when you walk out? 
When you come in, is it, is it grace? Is it mercy? Is it love? Is it kindness? Or have you ever been around someone that, that creates eggshells everywhere they walk? You know, they come in the room and everybody's like, ah, because it's bitter, it's anger, it's frustration. There's, there's always a problem. And, and they almost enjoy swinging a sword, cutting people up. We don't want to be that way. We want somehow for our sacrifice of worship to God, our lives to be a fragrance, an aroma that fills the room with blessing. Now, that we get to something that's really tough. We're going to have to talk about this. It is. It's a challenge. The third one in your notes is this. What is it that we value? What is it that we value? Now, this story takes a pretty big twist. Some of those at the table were indignant. Now, we know from John it was Judas who spoke up. Why waste such expensive perfume? They asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. <laughs> okay, let's just, let's break it down. What's the average salary in Fort Collins or Windsor or Loveland, Northern Colorado? Anybody know? Is it around 45000 so It's somewhere in there. So let's just say... That we're sitting here and someone brings 45000 up here on the platform in cash. How many of you are liking this so far? <laughs> and it's right here in a pile on a table. And they have a torch. And they want to offer a burnt offering to God. And they torch it. Would we be sitting here going, yeah, that's awesome, do it again. I wouldn't. I, I, I see myself in this story with Judas and these other people who, it just seemed like a, it seemed like a waste. Now, I'm just trying to be carnal for a minute, okay? I'm, I'm actually very spiritual, so don't get nervous. But, but I'm just trying to, I'm trying to see through their eyes. That's a lot of money. And it, it really could have been put to different use. And we don't know the story behind Mary. We don't know why she's doing this. Uh, just a few thoughts, and this is not... You know, the Bible doesn't point this out, so this is just Northrop. What if it's the one thing in her life that she's treasured and worshipped all of her life? What if this was the thing that held her back from giving her all? And she was in this moment surrendering that which she really was worshipping. Then the amount doesn't really matter. It's the thing it's the thing that's in front of God in your life that we need to break and offer it to God. What is the thing? It might be, it might be worth nothing financially, but it might cloud you from knowing who God is fully because you're holding on to this something, this relationship, this material thing, and you can't, you need to give it to God. I don't know. Maybe she had 10 of these in her closet and she was just offering one. I don't know. But I think she had a real passion in this moment to say, I love you more than anything. And it was valuable. And that is a challenge for us to really think about because it's not easy. How sold out am I to the kingdom of God, really, when it comes down to the valuables in my life? What am I willing to give to God and to sacrifice? It's a haunting story, isn't it? You think about it. How many of you can at least relate to the people who were saying, this could have been sold and given it to the poor? Okay? It's, it's really how our minds work, especially in our culture today. 
But we have to understand that she was doing this out of love for the Lord. And she was one of the few people in the room that recognized really who he was. And also, she knew what her sins were. And this was a sacrifice because it's even explained when your sins are great, forgiveness is even greater. And she felt that. And when you weigh the power of that, she somehow said, I, I want to give my all. Now, I want to just talk number four in your outline about the big picture for a second. Because Jesus comes back with, with a scolding of his own. They've criticized her harshly, the Bible says. They really jumped on this moment. And Jesus bounces back and he says in verse 6, But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. That's a very interesting statement. You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to. In other words, you will always have this opportunity. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body, notice this, for burial ahead of time. That throws a twist into it. First of all, do you think she knew that he was going to die and she was offering this as anointing for his body? There's no, I don't think so because I don't think there's any way she could have known up to this point. Jesus has talked about it, but the disciples didn't even get it. So Jesus is seeing this as a prophetic act of worship. He knows he's going to die, and he makes this connection with her act of obedience that tied it together, that his body is being anointed for his death on the cross. Though she did not know that, her act of worship was in line with the sequence of the rest of Jesus' life. Now, why does that even matter? I, I think it matters because we don't always know what our acts of obedience in worship to God creates in, in the domino effect of life. You know, that phone call you make, that card you send, that, that relationship that you have with someone, it's really important. And, and that might be part of a bigger picture that God sees that you don't know anything about. You just were having a conversation in an elevator. And, and, and this topic came up. But what you said changes the course of someone's life because of the sequence that they are in that you don't know anything about. I, I, <laughs> Bonnie and I have been listening. This isn't in my notes, so I'm weighing if I should say this or not. But... Um, We've been listening to country music quite a bit lately. How many of you like country music? It's so clever, isn't it? The songs that they, they make. And I just thought of this story just now. It must be the Lord wanting me to tell you. Uh, and I don't even know if I can remember the, the line, but this guy meets this guy in a bar, and they're having a drink till like 2 a.m. And this guy tells him, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. You ever heard this song? And, you have, haven't you? And the guy dies and gives all of his money. He's a millionaire, and he gives all of his money to this guy that became his friend in the bar. And he had no idea it was coming. 
And, and I just, I think of, of other songs like that where it's that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how someone is going to be touched by a simple conversation that you have with them in your life. And you can, in a sense, your fragrance, your act of kindness can create a new domino effect for someone else that you don't know anything about. Jesus is trying to point out that there is a big picture here and that we need to be careful. We need to pay attention. You know, it's possible that we don't have enough glimpses of the big picture, and that's why we get narrowly focused on things that bother us. We are, we are really worried about America. We are, you know, enraged by certain things that are happening. And, and what if, and I, and I think it's okay, we're sad anytime morals decay. We're sad when laws are passed that don't line up with this book. But, but here's the thing. What if it's supposed to get worse before it gets better? What if this is ushering in the kingdom of God coming to this earth? What if we are a part of something much bigger than our little selfish ideas about how we want to live? Will I still then say, God, I trust you. You're not nervous about it. You have a plan. There's a thought. God has a plan. How many of you believe that? So it's imperative for us to say, what can I do because I don't see the big picture? What is the influence that I have in my life that I can invest in, that I can pour my heart in, rather than just living with frustration and anger? Will I trust God or not? These people at the table, these religious folks, did not see the value, but Jesus did. Why? He knew what was coming. He knew what was coming, and they didn't. As a matter of fact, it's John, I believe, who tells this same story, and he says that Judas was the one that spoke up, and it also says Judas carried, he was the treasure for the disciples. How many of you knew that? He carried the money bag. And John says he often took money out of the bag for himself. He stole it. So he's seeing that, that perfume, not really interested in helping the poor, but realizing that could have been in his bag. That cash could have been under his control. And now he's not going to see it because it's been, quote, wasted. That's called greed. And how often do our mindsets fall to those places and those lines where we become critical because we don't see the big picture and we don't understand the kingdom rule, the kingdom side of what's going on? You still with me? Say yes. It's really, really good. Number five, what are the things that last forever? What are the things that last forever? I, I'm going to read verse 9. It says, I tell you the truth. Wherever good news is preached throughout the world, that word is the gospel. Wherever the gospel is preached, wherever this message of Jesus is preached in the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Everywhere the gospel goes, well, we understand now because it's in the Bible. And so the message of Jesus includes this story. But what a, what a cool thing. Here's a woman who is a big sinner who is now part of the gospel message because of her radical love and sacrifice. And we're talking about her 2,000 years later. I wonder if she's in heaven. I wonder if God ever lets people in heaven kind of peek over and see earth or visit a room like this. I wonder if she's, you know, able to kind of 
look in and say, I remember that day. <laughs> wow. I'm thankful for women like that, for people like that. I'm thankful for when people love God so radically, they offer all that they have and they give themselves in ways that sometimes we think are crazy. But it's a heart of love that compels them to do what we think is, seems impossible. I love that we're talking about her today. What are you gonna be remembered for? Do you know? I wonder if you wrote it down, if you'd be happy with it. Maybe we should, we should ask everybody that we know, like everybody in our contact list, tell me what you would say at my funeral. <laughs> And don't lie to me. <laughs> you know why? Because I don't think we really know. I don't think we really know what, we might know what's gonna be said because a few people who really love us and saw into us would say these things. But what's left that has anything to do with eternity because you walked on this earth? It's a powerful thought. It could change your day tomorrow. It could change what you do and it could change your attitude in your lifestyle, if you take that seriously. This woman is remembered to this day for one act of love in worshiping her God. That's impressive. That's eternal. And then finally, from one extreme to, the, to another, I've talked about Judas already, but in verse 10 it says, then Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him, what? Money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Okay, this is weird. Is what happened in Lazarus' house connected to the prompting in Judas that says, I'm selling him out? The scolding words of Jesus to say, it's okay what she did, after he's just said that should have been sold and given to the poor. And the very next thing is, he's looking for a way to betray Jesus. What, I think they're connected. Do you think they're connected? I think it was sort of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's kind of like that one little thing just put something in Judas, though he was pretty evil before this as a thief. But I think that moment in the room when he saw Jesus accept this and he despised what Mary had done and he didn't get his take on it, he decided right then, okay, I'm selling him out. Here's, here's the takeaway that I want you to think about. How do you respond when you don't get your way? How do you respond with correction in your life? How do you respond with authority over your life? Are you someone who will receive healthy criticism and accountability in your life? Or are you someone who will find a place to, to become bitter and, and angry and resentful and say something evil about the person who has authority in your life? It's really a big moment for Judas. And we know the rest of the story, so it's a really sad moment. You guys, the the thing I want you to think about as we wrap this up is this. Sometimes the littlest things in our life of attitude can end up becoming the biggest things that take us out. 
Judas didn't realize in the room that day that the day would come when he would realize he had it all wrong and he would take his own life. He didn't see that today. He didn't see that here. But it was one of those steps that took him to a place of no return. And I just feel like God is putting in my heart how close all of us can be without even realizing it to those one little decisions that become big moments. Will I live with a fragrance of worship? Or will I become bitter? Will I become hardened and calloused? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this story. It's really powerful. Help us to understand, Lord, that our judgments impact the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord. Help us not to be selfish. Lead us in this moment, Lord, I pray. I want you to respond to God. He's talking to you and me. He always does if you let him. And the Holy Spirit has a way of searching our hearts. Would you be open to letting God move around in your heart and look around? This isn't about guilt and God knocking you upside the head. This is about love. This is about letting God examine the fragrance of your life as you open the box, as you anoint the head and the feet of Jesus, what is the fragrance of your life? I wonder if you would let me pray with you if some things have been revealed by the Spirit in your own heart today. And you can say, I really need to own this. It's a little thing, but I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna give it to him.